1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Quick programming note. Uh, Summerfest is closed today. And, and by the way, I, 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 re- I understand this was a little bit controversial when they first announced this policy a few years back. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Summerfest always used to open up on Thursday and then run that first weekend and then through the following Sunday consecutively. What they found was that the it, with, without fail, the day with the lightest attendance was always that, that Monday. And I think that's, you know, if you talk to anybody in, in business, whether, whether it's, okay, baseball games, you know, you're, you're going to draw a larger crowd on a Friday night than you're going to draw on a Monday night. Um, restaurants, they'll, they'll tell you that. I mean, a lot of restaurants aren't even open Mondays because people are kind of getting over the weekend. They, they tend to not go out a, as much. So I think the folks at Summerfest started with, starting with Don Smiley, made the absolutely brilliant decision that, hey, hey look, we can, we can draw more people and we can enhance the experience if instead of running Thursday through a week from that Sunday, we'll open up a day earlier. We'll open up on Wednesday and we'll give ourselves a break in the middle of the festival. Hence, you know, Summerfest closes on Monday. It was especially controversial the first year because the Monday also happened to coincide with the 4th of July. And some people were saying, oh, they, they don't want to be open on the 4th of July, which is also Historically, one of the lower attendance days. I'm not saying it's going to be that way this year, but because people have so much other stuff to do. But in any event, um, Summerfest is closed today. And what they found is, again, I think more people would rather go on that first Wednesday than than on a, a Monday. Plus, it gives everybody a step, a chance to kind of back off and take just take a break, take a breather, um, get the grounds fully cleaned up. It gives a chance for vendors to replenish their stock. And then you come back in and everybody's set for the, the final six days of the festival. I think it's an absolutely brilliant decision. I am going to be broadcasting live from Summerfest. We were there on Thursday. I was off on Friday. Um, we're going to be there tomorrow and next Thursday, this coming Thursday and Friday. Um, everybody's on vacation for the 4th of July. But if you happen to be down at Summerfest, stop off and say hello. Love to see you. All right, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show. Let's talk about some serious stuff. We're going to talk about some lighter stuff. But we start off with something that is always an ongoing debate that occurs this time every year. All right, we um, tomorrow night, you have a series of events. The, you have the lakefront fireworks, and there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people who are going to be coming down to the fireworks. They're going to be descending on the lakefront. There's also a number of other places around that are going to have, be having various parades. Eric Bilstadt and I were talking about Menominee Falls, which does a great job. Eric is riding in the Menominee Falls parade. I'm I'm just going to be I'm going to be out there not participating in the parade. I'm just going to be that guy hanging out with a can of beer watching the whole world go by. But it's it is a it's a very big deal and it's become a tradition for my wife and her family, for example, to the point that my daughter-in-law, at some point in time this evening, I mean, her and fr- her friends go out and they actually, they have a spot they like. I'm not going to give up where that spot is, but they, they actually, they, they camp out. I mean, they start staking off places, but they have people that are there. This is qu- quite a distraction. Gru, who's producing the show, do you see what they're doing on this board here? Who is doing that? Do we know? You're doing that? Okay. I've got like flashing lights that are just like flashing in my face. Okay. We'll stop doing that. Thank you. In any event, 
what happens is they're going to stake out the space. And, you know, then there's moochers like me that will show up. Well, I'm broadcasting from Summerfest. I'll probably hang around there. I'll show up an hour before the parade and take advantage of the space that these other people have saved. But they are going to be there saving space. Now, at the lakefront, there's all sorts. I mean, the lakefront is big. There's all sorts of prime places that you can watch the, uh, the fireworks tomorrow night, including, I mean, Summerfest is a great spot to watch the fireworks. Then you've got some of the other areas along the lake. But, I mean, prime viewing area is, of course, you know, the various... You know, you've got Veterans Park, for example, on Lakefront Lincoln Memorial Drive. That's where I think a lot of people end up going. Historically, what has happened is people have started, well, they'll go down there today and they'll start camping out. They'll, you know, put up the police tape, they'll block off big chunks of space and, and they'll camp out and they'll reserve their space. Now, over in the last several years, when David Clark was the sheriff, um, they, they kind of look the other way. They allowed lakefront camping. Now, my understanding is, and that, that's technically against the county ordinances, you're, you're not allowed to camp in the lakefront. Um, I, I don't believe, I do believe that they're going to be enforcing that this year. At least that's the most recent information that I had. So people aren't going to theoretically be able to stay overnight. That's not stopping people, though, from going down and reserving space. You know, a lot of times what people will do is they'll go down with string or with rope or with police tape or whatever, and they'll block off chunks of uh, of space with the idea that we are going to reserve this space, and this is going to be our space, and then we'll come down tomorrow and we'll start to occupy it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is that, is that valid? Do you... When it comes to whether it's parade watching on the 3rd or the 4th or fireworks watching on the 3rd or the 4th, do do dibs count? I mean, if you go, for example, you know, you want to go watch your local parade in your local community on the 4th of July, and you decide that tomorrow afternoon, let's say the parade is 10 a.m. on July 4th, and tomorrow afternoon you decide that you want to go out and you want to put a couple lawn chairs out in a particular area, and you don't want to stay with them. You want to leave. Do you have or should you have an expectation that that space is going to be yours if you show up the morning of the 4th of July, two hours before the parade? Or put another way, if you show up and your lawn chairs are down and there's a whole bunch of other people standing there, you know, are they in the right or are you in the right? And what about the lakefront? If you go down this afternoon with your police tape, and a couple folding chairs, and you block off a chunk of space, and then you you leave. Um, is that your space tomorrow? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How far does the concept of dibs go? We will discuss. What is your expectation? And if you're going down, for example, you're looking for a great place to watch a parade or fireworks, you come up to a spot and there's people that have blocked that area. They're not there, but they've blocked it off and they got tape or they've got chairs or whatever. Do you honor that? Or if you don't stay with it, do you lose the space? How do you handle it? What are What is the protocol? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is an issue that a number of us are going to be facing over the course of the next two days. We discuss next. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Linda in Grafton. Hi, Linda. 
Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what's what should be the protocol for days like today? If if I want to watch the 3rd of July fireworks, should I be able to go down after work, take my police tape and block off a big section and then leave and come back tomorrow and sit in the same spot? Well, I have frequently gone to Cedarburg's parade. And like I was telling your screener, that we go in the night before. And if you leave a chair sit in Cedarburg on the main street, there's a village truck that drives up and down throwing your chair away. They trash them. They smash them and trash them. And the police department actually drives up and down the road and calling in a truck to tell them to come and get chairs that are left there before 7 o'clock the night before the parade. Okay. If you come in with chalk or rope or string, they don't say anything. But if you leave a chair out there, you're done. They're going to take it. Okay, so let's <laughs> let, do. You, do you have to stay with it? So let's say that tonight at eight o'clock, you go out on the sidewalk in Cedarburg, for example, and you put a couple lawn chairs there and you leave. Do you think that reserves your space? Absolutely not. Okay. I mean, last year we went out like early in the morning, put some chairs up. Okay, that was fine. We were. I had my two grandchildren. Two minutes before the parade started, a group of 10 people, 10 people from out of town, because they kept telling us we're from out of town, <laughs> we should get first dibs, they sat right in front of us. I'm like, that was crazy, but, you know, it is what it is. And I've seen many arguments, many fights. Yeah. You know, no, going okay. on, because people just, or they wash the chalk off, and then there's really an argument. Right. I guess, I mean, th- thanks, I mean see, I, I, I'm kind of curious as to what the... As to what the protocol is. And again, I, I think there's two different things. I think if, you know, and communities let people go out at different points in time and stay with the stuff. If you go out and put down a bunch of chairs and you have somebody that's staying with that stuff, well, I think it's okay. I, have, I obviously don't think everybody in the group has to be there, but I, I think, you know, if you've got somebody that's putting out your stuff, you got a couple people that are, that are there holding the space. I have no problem with that. I do have an eye problem with the idea that you should be able to go out and again dump your stuff there or some stuff and then leave and think that that's going to reserve your space. I don't buy into that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Bayview. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, hello. I think that uh these people are very unfair that put out these uh tapes and think that they can put it there 24 hours ahead of time. Mhm. I think they're very self-centered, and it's very much like the people driving on the road. Some go way over the speed limit, and others just do what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. and just follow what the speed limit is. You know, that's how people are, just very unfair. Well, I guess, I mean, thanks, well, I mean, I guess it's not, it's a question of, uh, of what the protocol is, and you're entitled to something like that, and I guess I just don't, I, I, I mean, I've told this story before. Back, back in the day, back when the circus parade was big, I, I used to work um, for the U.S. Attorney's Office. I worked at the old federal building on Wisconsin Avenue a couple blocks off the lake. And back when the circus parade was big, I can honest to goodness remember the circus parade would be on a Sunday. You would have people that would come down on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and it looked like a hurricane had hit a Walmart. They, they would take, you know, all these crappy pieces of lawn furniture, and a, they would bicycle chain them to lamp posts or parking meters or whatever, and then they'd leave them. This is on Tuesday or Wednesday, thinking that when they came back on, on Sunday, you know, that would reserve their space. 
space. And, and of course, it made downtown Milwaukee look awful because you had all these chairs that were there. I thought it was a danger to people, you know, who are walking on the streets to have this crap that was there. Um, the mo- former Milwaukee police chief, Arthur Jones, he and I didn't agree on very much of anything. But one year, he finally had enough of it. And he had the, just the sanitation people and the cops go up and down the street and they cut the bicycle chains and they threw all the stuff away. And I thought he was absolutely right in doing that. Now, it created a whole controversy, but I I think if you're going to put stuff out there, you have to be willing to stay with it. And if, for example, they're not allowing camping in the public parks overnight by the lakefront tonight, well, what that means is you you get there when the park opens up at sunrise tomorrow and you stake your space out. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Jim, Jim in New Berlin. They have actually been staked out in New Berlin a week ago Monday. <laughs> really? Like what? Like so? What kind of stuff? I mean, like lawn chairs and things like that. No, I don't think they're allowed to put lawn chairs in. But any kind of roll for police tape or whatever, they started staking them out long before, uh, probably on the weekend a week ago Monday. Okay, so is there an expectation then that they can? It's something that whoever's done that's going to be able to roll up, for example, the morning of the 4th of July, and that space is going to still be there for them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. We, we uh, asked permission to stake out in front of a business, and it's no problem. They said, just don't leave chairs around, and we usually do it two or three days before. But it's, they've been, they started a week ago Monday. Wow. A week ago today to well, well, thanks. For, see, and I, I mean, I think what's going to be interesting then is, is what happens if somebody, again, okay, it's the 4th of July parade. You've got stuff that's staked out, and somebody shows up, I don't know, 530 in the morning, on the morning of the 4th of July, and says, hey, this is a primo spot. I'm going to put my chairs there, and I'm going to sit there. I mean, who has the who has the rights to it? And obviously, I guess I I, I think the universal rule should be that um again private business is a different type of thing if you're in the if you're in the parking lot of a private business and they give you permission that's kind of a different sort of thing but i'm talking about you know on the public sidewalks i'm talking about in the public areas i i think the rule has to be that if you're going to stake it out you you got to be there you got to have somebody stay with that stuff um or else you know, you're just trying to be kind of like a squatter there. And I understand this issue comes up all the time. And I know sometimes there's people that are upset because, you know, they'll show up. Well, I put out my lawn chair, you know, two days ago. And now I come here an hour before the parade's going to start and the thing's gone and people are there eight deep. Well, yeah, I, that's why I think, again, if you're going to do this, the rule should be you got to stay with it. you got to have somebody stay with it. Not everybody from the group, of course, but you have to have somebody that's going to be there to police it. Otherwise, you're just dumping stuff that's out there. Now, how people handle it on the lakefront, I don't exactly know. Because like I say, that the sheriff's department, even though there's an ordinance that says you can't camp in the county parks, the sheriff's department historically, under David Clark, kind of looked the other way on this. Matter of fact, they expressly said, you know, we're, we're not going to enforce this particular ordinance. I think that rule might have slightly changed, so it'll be curious to see how this whole thing plays out. But the bottom line is, if you're going to reserve space, I think the rule needs to be that you've got to, you know, you you've got to be there and you've got to stay with it. Twelve twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The immigration debate continues to play out on the U.S.-Mexican border. How will thousands of children be reunited with their parents, and just how long could it take? Gene Miller talks to a local immigration attorney at 821 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Last Thursday, and I was off on Friday, so last Thursday, the story of the psychopath who walked into the newspaper office down in Annapolis, Maryland. My, my, Annapolis, if you ever get a chance to visit Annapolis, please do. My my mom was from that, that area. Um, psychopath walks into the newspaper office of the local newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, has a shotgun, murders five people. Ultimately, he is taken into custody. Then they start looking at the backdrop of this, and I think as oftentimes happens, this was completely and totally predictable. The guy who was responsible for the shooting, I'm supposed to say allegedly, but we're going to drop that for the moment, Jared Ramos, a true, honest-to-God psycho, which demonstrates, who demonstrates clearly the dark side of the Internet. If, If you haven't followed the story, what happens is back in 2011, there's, there's a woman who lives in that area, and she gets she gets an email out of the clear blue from this Jared Ramos, who says, we went to high school together, um, you know, I was just reaching out to see how you're doing. She doesn't really remember him, but she responds to him, and then they, they start kind of exchanging emails. They don't, they don't meet or anything, but they start exchanging emails. He sends her something kind of creepy about... You know, you were the only person who was nice to me in high school, et cetera, et cetera. So he starts barraging her with emails, and she decides, hey, something's kind of weird about this. So she she stops answering them. And then what happens is she starts sending th- more progressively threatening emails. You haven't responded to me in three or four days. This is terrible. And then th- they start to rise to the level of threats. She ends up getting a restraining order against him. And ultimately, because he's contacting her employer and things like that, she has to move. She ends up moving out of the area to try to get away from him. And apparently, to this day, um, lives in fear that he's going to find her and start, you know, contacting her uh, again. So this is kind of like the weird, creepy stalkers that are out there on the Internet. Well, what happens in 2011 is the newspaper finds out about this. And the newspaper decides to write the story. Now, this is after, you know, he's been subject to the restraining order and convicted of various things and like that. The newspaper writes the story about this, at which point in time the psycho's attention switches from the woman that he was stalking and switches to the newspaper. So first what he does, the newspaper writes a story about this. He files a defamation suit against the newspaper, essentially saying they've hurt his reputation by publishing falsehoods. That gets dismissed because the judge takes a look at it and says there's nothing false about this. You know, they they just reported on, on what happened. So at that point in time, he turns his attention to the the newspaper in general and some of the individual reporters. And And you read this story. And it's like it's like a horror show about some of the stuff that goes on. For example, um, what he ends up doing, he creates a Twitter account featuring, you know, one of the reporters picture as as the avatar. And he includes the tagline making corpses of corrupt careers. And on 
and he's got a picture of the reporter. And on the reporter's forehead, he photoshops a symbol from um, a Japanese TV series, which recounts the ritual murder of people marked with this symbol. And he photoshops that on that this this symbol on one guy's head and on another. And then he's sending these obsessive, threatening um, messages to the, the newspaper and to these various reporters. It gets so bad that the newspaper, I mean, their security people and the attorney go to the local police department and they say, look what we've got here. You know, we need to do something about this. And in what was a haunting mistake, the police take a look at it and they say, well, we don't think he really poses a serious threat because he's just doing this over the Internet. And so far, he hasn't shown up at the building. Well, okay, well, that's not a very good response because by the time he finally snaps and shows up at the building, he's got the shotgun and he's killing a bunch of people there. So that's kind of the background. You have the psycho that's out there. And it really demonstrates, again, like I say, the dark side of the Internet, because first of all, you have this woman who's being stalked by him, and then he changes his focus, and he starts going after the people who reported on on this. And I, I think anybody who's, you know, in the media will tell you that, you know, there there are these people that are out there, and it's kind of a sobering sort of thing when, when you hear this, because... You know, there's one tendency to kind of just blow this off and say, okay, well, it's just a harmless kook that's out there. But the truth of the matter is a lot of these kooks aren't, in fact, harmless, and you don't know when they're going to do what they're going to do. But here you have the guy. He's a psychopath. This is a horror story. And, I mean, I think it obviously appropriately deserves to get everybody's attention. All right. Well, against that backdrop, the the ink, the, the story was as fresh as possible when there were people in the media that decided they wanted to publicize this for political purposes. For example, there's a guy who was, let me see, I want to get the guy's name right. Um, the guy was, um, his name is Connor Berry. He was a reporter at The Republican in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um in the immediate aftermath of this this horrible event out in Annapolis, he sends out a, a tweet or make, a tweet saying that, uh, "Gee, uh, the shooter who killed four people at Annapolis newspaper dropped his hashtag Make America Great hat on the newsroom floor before opening fire." All right, so. That, that's that's what he sends out, essentially saying, "Okay, the reason this guy did it linked to again linked to." President Trump. Well, of course, that's that's not the case. Reuters um, has an editor. His name is Rob Cox. And, um, you know, he, I mean, did the same sort of thing. He acknowledged that I mean, he sent out this tweet saying this is what happens when real Donald Trump calls journalists the enemy of the people. Blood is on your hands. Mr. President, save your thoughts and prayers for your empty soul. So he sends out the, this tweet saying, again, this is because President Trump takes on the news media, which takes on him. Trump is somehow responsible for this. All right. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that you can hold President Trump accountable for. And I'm one of these people that wishes 
He would tone down the rhetoric a little. I think it would help him be more effective if he stayed off Twitter more, if he didn't engage in you know some of these silly battles that he engages in. At the same time, if you look at what happened here to try to suggest that this is in any way, shape, or form the responsibility of the president, I think is absolutely outrageous. This wasn't... I don't know, somebody, for example, this wasn't, you know, you had the shooting of the Republican congressman outside the ball field in D.C. about a year ago. This wasn't some psychopath who was stoked into action by heavy rhetoric. This was a psychopath who had a long-running dispute with the newspaper and with a victim who he had been stalking. Um, and, and this, what, what happened, unfortunately, last week w- was predictable. I think it was a failure of law enforcement. But to suggest in any way, shape, or form that the president's ongoing battle with the media or the media's ongoing battle with the president, you know, inspired this in any way, shape, or form is just absolutely outrageous. And to me, it, it minimizes the, the significance of what happened here and the fact that I, I think we need to be more aware of the fact that there are psychopaths among us and when people start acting out and expressing these things on the internet law enforcement needs to be more proactive in dealing with them and if it means we need to change the laws to broaden the spectrum of criminal activity to uh, again when you have these people who are psychopaths to to get them off the street before they act out i'm all in favor of it but is this Trump's fault, really? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1244. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1247. Jeff Wecker, WTMJ. Your first place Brewers, still by half game, are back in action as they welcome the American League's... No, they're playing the Minnesota Twins um, this evening. So they're playing the Minnesota Twins this evening. Um, our game coverage starts at 635 this evening. So be sure to check that out. Like I say, I'm going to be at the ball game uh, this evening. Looking forward to that quite a bit. All right. What we're talking about right now is what happened on Thursday. And it, it is something that um, it, it. I think for a lot of people who are in the media, a lot of people who are public figures, you know, one of the things that comes with the territory is the fact that, you know, occasionally you're going to run into people who, um, well, they, they obsess over certain things and, you know, they have sort of stalker tendencies and they're, they're kooks. Most of them turn out to be harmless kooks, but some of them aren't. And that's apparently what happened in Annapolis, Maryland, as we were talking about earlier. There's this story involving a guy who was stalking an old high school classmate of his. And then, you know, once she got a restraining order and got him prosecuted, the newspaper wrote about it. Then he focused his attention on the newspaper and the reporters. He sued him. That didn't work. And then over the period of years, sent a, a series of incredibly and more progressively hostile, threatening sort of uh, tweets. Law enforcement missed the boat in a big way. Law enforcement said, well, he hasn't actually showed up, so we're not going to do anything about it. We're not worried. Well, that's great, um, except when he does, in fact, show up, he's got a shotgun and he kills a bunch of people. Um, Law enforcement missed the boat big time. It is a tragedy, and I think what needs to happen moving forward is we need to have a reexamination of, again, our laws. Do you need to change the laws, not just to protect people who are in the media, but to protect other people who are 
the subject of these stalkers and these obsessive people who now use the Internet to carry out their those sort of warp plans so that, you know, if somebody does, in fact, cross that line and sends these sort of threatening emails or tweets or whatever, you know, should you be should we be able to be more proactive and get them off the street before they decide to actually show up with the shotgun and act out whatever sort of thing they've been contemplating for the longest period of time? Well, this was a failure of law enforcement, pure and simple. It is an absolute travesty. I do think it's causing understandably a lot of people in the media to re-examine security procedures and things like that and that's all that's all well and good and i think it's completely and totally appropriate that that ends up happening but here's the i mean here's the caveat as soon as this happens i mean literally within the immediate aftermath of it you have some people in the media who i think disgrace themselves by deciding that they're going to blame president trump on this now i understand president trump has been taking on the media and the media has been giving it back to him and you know we're probably at a low point well you got to go back to watergate perhaps to find the i think a a lower point perhaps in relationships between a president of the united states and and the media and i think candidly i wish president trump would back off on some of his criticisms but at the same time i think a lot of the coverage and the vitriol and the way the mainstream media has approached the president has been grossly grossly unfair so i think there's blame to go around on both sides as far as that relationship goes but a couple people in the media a guy at reuters a guy who was a reporter for a newspaper on the east coast crossed the line by suggesting in the immediate aftermath of this that this was somehow a result of the president's ongoing feud with the media, when, of course, we know that is not true. What we know it was is this was a psycho who had a personal grudge going on with the news media, this particular newspaper, and decided to act out on it. And to blame the president for this, I think, is the height of unfairness. Moreover, what it ends up doing is I think it it causes people to depreciate what really was going on here, which is we got to figure out how to identify those psychopaths who are running around among us, and when they're expressing their psychopathic opinions on the Internet, we, we can't just blow this off and say, oh, this is kind of a harmless kook. You have to recognize that there is somebody that's got the real potential for danger, and we need to figure out a way to get them off the street before they actually act out and take five lives. But to say it's anything to do with the president, shame on these people who did it. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. have an email. Um, Jeff, please stop blaming law enforcement for Annapolis. Could they have done more? Sure. But 100% blame lies on the gunman, not the president, not the paper, and certainly not the police. No, no, I I don't think that's... Obviously, obviously the, uh, the blame... The responsibility lies on the shooter. That is always the case. But here is what is frustrating about this. This, if you look at the pattern that was engaged in by the guy who was the shooter, going back to 2011, it was clear that you were dealing with an unhinged psychopath. And, I mean, my my gosh, he's creating false Twitter accounts with pictures of the reporters um, and on their forehead He's putting a symbol of ritualistic sacrifice. All right, you don't have to be Kreskin. You don't have to be a mind reader to understand that this guy was, um, this was not just your normal crank. 
This was somebody who was carrying it to the next level. And I think if you look at a number of his texts and a number of his tweets, you would have had a basis, especially given the fact that the paper came to the cops and said, look what we have here. We are concerned. And you had some low-level investigator at the Annapolis Police Department or a Sheriff's Department, whoever looked at it, took a look at this and said, well, we, we don't think there's anything here. They were wrong. And I think that if you go back, and I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, but this is a demonstration of why when you have these nutcases that are out there that are using the Internet to spread their particular form of psychotic hatred, it's why you need to be more aggressive in taking them on and in criminalizing some of this stuff. And if that means moving forward, we've got to look at how the Internet's used and we've got to broaden the definition of what considers continues to be, it can be used to be an actionable threat. Okay, I'm all in favor of that. But I, I think it's pretty clear that if you had an aggressive prosecutor looking at this stuff, they would have gotten involved. And, and so did the Annapolis Police Department pull the trigger? Well, of course not. But the signs were there. Um, in this case, the victim, being the newspaper, asked for help, and the police turned them down saying there was nothing to be concerned about. Well, all right, it, it didn't work out that way. They were wrong. People are dead. And if they had acted, if they had brought criminal charges, just maybe things would have been different. President Trump has announced that uh, one week from today, he is going to be announcing his choice to replace Justice Anthony Kennedy on the United States Supreme Court. He says he's got it down to five. Um, they're now saying that, that there's two front runners. Either one, one is a male, one is a female. The, the woman um, recently confirmed to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, which happens to be the federal district that hears appeals from Wisconsin as well as Indiana and Illinois. Um, she was controversial in that she is a devout Catholic. And obviously, if she's the appointment, you're going to have lots of questions about what is the future of Roe versus Wade and those type of things. The bottom line of all this, though, is that there's not much the Democrats, there's nothing really that the Democrats can do to stop this appointment. Chris Matthews on MSNBC is saying that there's going to be hell to pay if the Democrats don't block Trump's Supreme Court pick. Well, the bottom line is there's really nothing the Democrats can do to do that. And as long as President Trump finds what I would describe as a mainstream conservative, you know, he, he's going to be fine. And the names that are on the list, the names that have been bandied about, all satisfy that. I, I know for a lot of us, um, I'm a huge fan of Judge Diane Sykes. Diane has been a friend of mine for, for decades. The problem is with state, with federal Supreme Court appointments, you, you, you really want to find somebody. I will be shocked if President Trump picks somebody over the age of 52 or 53. And I think he's probably even looking for somebody younger than that because you want to have somebody that's going to be on the bench for, you know, 30 plus years. And if you pick somebody who's 60, the chances of that happening are less than if you pick somebody who's 45. So I think it's it's going to be somebody no older than the age of 52, which eliminates a, a number of extremely qualified candidates. Whoever it is that the president picks, I think will it'll be a heated confirmation battle, but they will be confirmed. When we come back, it's the 4th of July. What are we doing about fireworks? Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's a lot of areas of the law that are really messed up. But Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you know one of the areas that's the most messed up? And that, it comes up this time every year, it is the law with regard to fireworks. Because people just don't understand it. And I understand why people don't understand the law with regard to fireworks. Because it is it is a mess. For example, if you drive up I-94, coming up from the Illinois line, heading to Milwaukee County, you see these giant stores that are all along the internet, uh, all interstate, advertising all sorts of different fireworks. But then you get into different areas and you say, well, well wait a second, I- I'm being told these fireworks are illegal. How can I be in Kenosha County and buy all this stuff and then be told by the time I get to Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee or whatever that, that I can't use them? And... The answer is, well, y- yes, uh, in all these different cases, in all these different cases, that's what the law is. Wisconsin state law allows the sale, possession, and use of certain sparklers, stationary cones and fountains, toy snakes, smoke bombs, caps, noisemakers, confetti poppers under certain things, and novelty devices that spin or move on the ground. All right. In order to have other types of fireworks, you need a permit. Firecrackers, Roman candles, bottle rockets, mortars, and any other type of firework. You need a permit for this. Um, Permits are issued by municipalities and are valid only in the city, village, or town where the permit was was issued. So what, what ends up happening is you go, you stop at one of these firework stands along the side of the road. That firework stand might have a permit themselves to sell, so they sell you the bottle rocket or whatever. Well, just because they've had a permit to sell that, that doesn't mean that you've got a permit to legally use it. Right? That's just the reality. So what happens is people buy these, and then they go up, off and, and they shoot them off. Now, different Communities take different approaches to fireworks. Um, in the city of Milwaukee, for example, and in many surrounding communities, they are very, very restrictive. Essentially, in Milwaukee, any item that admits smoke, that bangs, or that sparkles is considered illegal. And if convicted, you can be looking at a fine of not less than $500 or more than $1,000 for an adult who uses um, or consents to the use of these by um, by minors. Um, so if it flies, it's going to be illegal. If it explodes, it's going to be illegal. If it sparkles, it is going to be illegal. Now, other communities might have different rules. Essentially, if it flies and explodes, it's probably going to be illegal. But other communities have different rules with regard to sparklers. And so what you want to do is you want to check before you do it if you are, in fact, concerned about this. At the same time, this is one of those laws which, well, I think police don't like to enforce. I was at a party, it was actually last year, in a community. And the people at the house next door were shooting off um, bottle rockets. They were shooting off bottle rockets. And after a little while, a police officer 
comes to kind of check on this. Now, the people had stopped shooting off the bottle rockets by the time the cops got there. And I, I actually, I was just kind of curious, and I was talking to him, and he said, yeah, well, if we get a complaint, we got to go look at this. He said, but, you know, we've got community fireworks going on. I'm trying to stop people from getting, walking across intersections and getting hit by cars. And he said, you know, it's just, I, I don't want to be necessarily the Mr. No Fun type of guy. But in this particular community, there was an ordinance that went after the stuff that that flew. I don't know about the sparklers one way or the other. But in the city of Milwaukee, you are not allowed to have sparklers, which brings me to what I want to discuss with you. Now, I understand, for example, I I see I get why, particularly in urban areas, you, you don't want people shooting off the bottle rockets because one lands on somebody's house and the roof goes on fire or something like that. I, I understand that, and that's why I think in general it's best to leave the fireworks to the professionals. I acknowledge, however, that, that I mean, I grew up with firecrackers, and I particularly grew up with sparklers. Now, I, I think, obviously, you know, if you take a, a six-year-old and you have them running around with a sparkler and having no supervision, it is a recipe for disaster. I also understand that, you know, if somebody is lighting a sparkler, for example, and they're running around with it and they fall, they can end up in the emergency room, and that does, in fact, happen. Of course, you can end up in the emergency room when you fall off your bike or you fall off your scooter or or whatever. In the city of Milwaukee and in other places, I, I don't want to talk about so much the banning of, of the mortars, the banning of the bottle rockets, because, again, in an urban area, that makes sense to me. But... If you're in your backyard and you're having your 4th of July party and you want to, I don't know, uh, allow your kids to you know, go up to the bonfire or whatever and light sparklers and run around with them and you're sitting there and you're supervising, is this so much of a risk that we need to outlaw them? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I understand if somebody's playing around with a sparkler and the kid falls or the adult falls and trips or falls, yeah, those things are hot and they can burn. I, I get it. I understand all that. But is this one of these things where, okay, in 2018 in America, it's just too dangerous to allow sparklers or is this the nanny state come to get us? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Are we going too far when we extend the ban on various types of fireworks to things that I'm willing to bet most of us grew up with, which are sparklers? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Are sparklers so unreasonably dangerous that we need to outlaw them? recognizing that when sparklers are truly outlawed, only outlaws will have sparklers. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 116, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, and by the way, I mean, I understand that if you've got an unsupervised child playing with a sparkler, you know, they, they can they can get hurt. Even if you've got a supervised child playing with a sparkler and they fall, they can hurt themselves. But, of course, there, there's all sorts of things that that kid can do is this worth banning things like sparklers? 414-799-1620. Eugene in Milwaukee. Eugene, hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, like you said, we grew up with these fireworks, and it was a great time, and everything was always okay uh, with our parents, you know, and people watching. But I don't understand why they're allowed to sell these things. And 
and uh, you know, there's no ban on that because they can make money or and there's a you know, they can tax it. But right. I'm I'm a fan of the big fireworks, uh, the mortars and the the other things, and and kind of bothers me that we can't have that because I mean. That's what the fourth is about: fun and enjoyment. And as long as you're careful, they should find they should write tickets or issue fines on people who don't know what they're doing or have water nearby, fire extinguisher. We have all those things, but uh, we live in St. Francis, where they're very you know very picky in that area. You know. Well, I think especially remember uh, remember the yahoos who had like the military grade um, things that set uh, Patrick Cudahy on fire a few years ago. Yeah, they yeah. they were shooting off like the military rockets. I mean, yeah, and, right. and you know, and so uh, thanks. You know, I mean, no, I, so, I mean, I, I guess. I understand, particularly in urban areas, why the stuff that flies, the stuff that explodes. I mean, if you're relatively new to this area, I, I want to say it was, you know, I, time kind of runs all together for me nowadays. Maybe five years ago, maybe ten years ago, you had these two guys who were, one was, I think, still in the military, or they were brothers. They were just out of the military, and they, they kept, they, they, they took some rockets, essentially, from from their their post and they shoot these things off and they one or two of them fly from their house in Cudahy their backyard onto the roof at Patrick Cudahy and the whole thing burns down I mean it sets the thing on fire you know I get why especially in urban areas you don't want to have that but I mean I'm I'm talking about just going around and and having the, the sort of the more harmless type of stuff now harmless I mean the way they are normally used I mean I have a confession to make I was at a party a few years back, and there was a guy who was a retired state prosecutor. He'd been a district attorney. He'd been state prosecutor, not from Wisconsin, but um, and he was he was a sparkler enthusiast, and he brought all these giant sparklers, and it was his grandkids and some other kids, and he was light. I, I was sitting there watching this whole thing, and he was lighting them. The kids were running around, and they were having a good time. There was somebody there that was supervising them, and, and you know what? Nobody got hurt. Could somebody have gotten hurt? Yes, but somebody could have gotten hurt. One of the kids could have gotten hurt, you know, going up to the hot grill and touching it and all. Um, again, I just, I look at this and I wonder if we are going too far in trying to be the, the no fun sort of stuff. Bottle rockets, I get. Mortars, like Eugene was talking about. I, I understand why in a place like Milwaukee that's illegal. But, I mean, seriously, the sparklers, isn't this stuff that we all grew up with? Let's talk to Sam, who's calling us from Flint, Michigan. Hi, Sam. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I just wanted to be a word of warning from someone who doesn't live in Wisconsin when it comes to freedom for fireworks. Okay. <laughs> um, in Michigan, pretty much anything is legal anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the bottle rockets, everything like that. Um, the law was passed a number of years ago, and the reason being was they figured it was another tax. Right, they get they the get the revenue, sure. They could, get, they could get the revenue for it because people were going to Indiana or whatever. Well, for the first few years it was in existence, it was it was a disaster. It was the period of the judges. I live in an urban area in Flint, of course, and mm -hmm. yes, my water is okay now. <laughs> Um, but I had neighbors where it was the 4th of July from July or June 15th, right. July 15th. And it was the bottle rockets being launched and popping uh -huh. off over my house and stuff like that. The problem with that was, is the cat was out of the bag. Now, since then, 
there have been laws passed in most municipalities saying, well, you can light off your, your big fireworks from the the day of the festival. The day of- right. Oops, I'm sorry, we lost Sam's call there. Now, I, I, again, I... I- and he's talking about the stuff that flies. I, I just, that's why I've been trying to focus on sparklers. As, as I said, I understand urban areas in particular. And somebody makes the point that yes, it, it was a military flare, um, that, that they were shooting off on the 4th of July that ended up setting off the, the uh, fire at Patrick Cudhay. I'm not sure that there's a distinction really between that. But, but regardless, I mean, I, I understand in urban areas the stuff that's flying and things like that. But, but we're talking sparklers. And aren't sparklers different? And is this is this overly intrusive? Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I don't know how we ever survived because yeah. I know I'm roughly your age. And I remember we used to have there were sparklers that were like what two <laughs> right. long. I mean, well, like, well, we survived lawn darts, Dave. You remember yeah, playing with well, jarts? Yeah, I mean, we I we survived jarts. Yeah. I still have my original <laughs> jarts. But, you know, the thing is, is I don't know. If you can buy it, you should be able to use it. And, I mean, I live in a rural area. So, right. for me, it's no, you know, obviously, if it's dry out and things like that, right. some common sense. Kind of like, well, I really don't want to be shooting off stuff that could, you know, right. like half the town on fire or things like that. But, I mean, there's really, you know, urban areas I get. I mean, that that's kind of, again, common sense, but that seems to be in short supply these days. But, right. Uh, just to legislate it and to outlaw it, you know. Right. Well, I guess the, the other interesting, Dave, thanks for the call. The other interesting thing to me is, um, and a number of people are texting me making this point. Um, okay, g- given the issues we have, say, in the city of Milwaukee, when it when it comes to violence, um, all right, are we, are, do we really want the sparkler police that are going to be out there? I mean, I mean, I would, I would rather have law enforcement concentrating on the people that are using guns, for example, and shooting other people with guns. And, and, and it was funny, in, in this one community, the guy, the police officer, he got the call that the guys, that the people next door were were shooting off the things in the air, and he came there. And he, he was actually a little bit kind of embarrassed because he's saying, okay, well, in our community, we've got thousands of people coming here. I'm trying to make sure that no pedestrian gets run over by traffic. I'm trying to do that around. And now I'm kind of like the no fun guy. But, you know, if somebody calls and complains, they have to complain. I'm just saying that I think the nanny state has a tendency to take it too far. And again, are you? I'm going to get an email from somebody saying, "Well, Wagner thinks that you know seven year olds should be run, able to run around with sparklers." Well, okay, um, not necessarily, but at the same time, I, I think as long as you've got appropriate adult supervision, I don't know what the right age is necessarily. But if if you if you've got some kids that are over and you're having a Fourth of July picnic in your backyard and you're waiting around for the fireworks to start and you decide that you want to light a couple sparklers in your backyard, no, I don't think that that is the end of the world. Now, I understand, again, if you're in a different sort of setting, if you've got the local community and you want to say, okay, no sparklers in the public park, I have a, I don't have, I don't have a problem with that. I, I get it. We have all sorts of restrictions where you have all the people together. But really, if you want to let your kids play with some sparklers that you're going to light, just like, again, my my this acquaintance of mine a couple of years ago, he's lighting the sparklers for his kids. They're running his grandkids. They're having a great time. You know, everybody's there. And and yes, could a child have been hurt? Yeah, I, a child could have been hurt. 
Yes, the child could have had to visit the emergency room, and that's always horrible when it happens. But you know what? Kids fall down all the time. Kids injure themselves, you know, just being kids. Just saying. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Some aldermen want Milwaukee's police chief to become an elected position. Can it be done? Gene Miller has the latest 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Let me just offer a thought on this. There, there, are, there are bad ideas. There are stunningly bad ideas. And then there is allow the police chief to be an elected official bad idea. Um, boy, can you imagine what would happen in the city of Milwaukee if you would have every crazy and their brother that decided they wanted to run for police chief? No, that is a stunningly bad idea. And the answer is it's not going to happen in the real world. The state legislature would have to approve it. Milwaukee Common Council could petition the legislature to do it. But... <laughs> There, I mean, there are times when the legislature's kind of whacked out, you know, unless they're all high, that will never, ever happen. But, you know, it's a subject of debate. Okay. Melissa, I asked you to stick around yes, for a minute. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's the deal. Um, when you decide that you are going to go on vacation, so let, and, and I'm not talking about just necessarily, I'm not just talking about you, you're taking a, you know, a day off to get your cat or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I'm talking about, you know, you're, you're going to go away for a week. You're going to go visit friends in California or in Florida or, or, or wherever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you make it a point to check in with work? Do you monitor your work emails? Do you check your voicemails when you're gone on vacation? Be honest. I would say I don't check my voicemails, but I do randomly check my email because only because I don't want to have a thousand emails when I get back. So I do check to see if there's anything major going on. And once in a while, people from work will be like, I hope you're having a great time. So it's I mean, kind of like that, but I don't work on vacation. Okay. You don't work. Do I do you, not do work. You, as a general rule, do you answer your emails? If there's, you're, you're again, you're, you're on vacation wherever you're on vacation. And you're you're kind of randomly looking through the emails. Will you sit down and, and answer a series of them or no? Probably not. I will answer text messages though. Really? So that's the difference. Yeah, I, probably not email because it's lengthy. The text message I can quickly respond back. Okay, so if so, you will answer work related texts when you're on vacation. I would. Yeah. Okay. Grew. All right. Same same situation. You and you and Mrs. Grew are on vacation. You're you know wherever you are. Um, do you monitor your work email to see things? Crew said you would look at it. But you, you would look at it just because you want to see what's going on. Um, do you um, text messages? If somebody texts you, would you answer them? It's more convenient. Okay, so if you're on vacation and I text you, you'll, you'll probably respond to it. Yeah, that's what he says now. Sure, he says. Okay, <laughs> you try that next time he goes on vacation. Yeah, no, well, the, the reason I the reason I bring this up is actually a colleague of mine this morning said that, and, and this this is this colleague of mine. Just I I have a great deal of respect for his work ethic. Works really really hard. Works long hours. And he said today, I'm going on vacation for the balance of the week. I'll be around tomorrow if anybody needs anything, but you know, I'm on vacation, we're off the 4th of July, and then I'm taking the rest of the week off. All right, which is very very well deserved. I mean, it's and but but then my colleague said, 
I will be checking messages regularly, and I will get back to you. You know, I'll be checking messages regularly. So if you need something, um, you know, don't hesitate. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, huh, that, that's kind of an interesting dynamic because if if you're going to be checking messages regularly and you're going to be responding to this type of stuff and you're telling people that, is that really the purpose of of going on vacation? And it, it started, I found it intriguing and it, it's interesting this does appear somewhat to be a generational thing. Um, if you are a millennial, apparently um, most of the surveys say checking in while on vacation is, is a good thing. Um, millennials are more likely to check messages and to respond to them while on vacation. There's this new study out that says that um, workers 55 and over, 60% do not check in at all while on vacation. Meanwhile, for millennials, and this would be people 18 to 34, this would be you, Gru, um, they estimate that 62% of millennials, while they're on vacation, check in several times a week um, with the office, again, via email or via the texts or whatever. And I thought this would be an interesting subject of discussion. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you're on vacation, are you able to disconnect? Or do you feel that you're the indispensable person, that you have to be there? When you are on vacation, are you going to be checking in with the office? And and more importantly, are you going to be engaging with the office? See, I understand what Melissa was talking about. All right, you you, kind of check in. A couple times because you want to see what you're coming back to. You know, is has something just exactly has it blown up? Is there this major problem? Did you know half the office get fired while I was gone? All that type of stuff. I I understand you know all all that, but but I think what they're talking about just isn't the people that are just kind of checking in once or twice, but it's the people who are deciding that I'm I'm not going to be able to punch out. I'm not going to be able to disconnect. And yeah, hey, I'm on vacation, but if you need anything. Feel free to reach out to me and I'll, I'll get back to you. 414-799-1620. What type of person are you? And, and is it healthy to respond when you're on vacation? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 141. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The battle is heating up over who should replace Justice Anthony Kennedy on the U.S. Supreme Court. John McCure has got the very latest starting at 340 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. If you're just tuning in, a a colleague of mine who I I have eminent respect for, very, very hardworking guy, you know, announced today, hey, I'm, I'm starting Wednesday. I'm off. I'm on vacation for the balance of the week. Go on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Um, but, but I'll, I'm checking emails. I, I'm reachable. I'm accessible. If you've got anything that comes up, please feel free to reach out. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, no, 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 don't, don't say that. You're, you're on vacation. You should be on vacation. And I guess if there's some emergent, I mean, underline, underscore emergency, you, you might want to be kept involved, but just, I wouldn't be telling people here, contact me. No, you're on vacation. 414-799-1620. Um, can you plug out when you leave the office? Kevin in Oconomowoc. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Kevin. I, I, I don't think I could label it like a millennial thing, but I could label it a generational lesson. Through the years, I myself 
most of the people I'm associated with have all gone through that dedication to the job, the workaholism, then realizing that that makes no sense at all, and you finally get to that point of, it's kind of like the old umbrella statement of, you know, everybody's born liberal and dies a conservative. <laughs> you find out, you, you parse out what's important in life, what's not important in life, and in the end, privately, when we put our heads on the pillow, we realize that we've become a, a cat-scratching post for things that don't matter. Uh, if you're on vacation, it's intended for you to vacate. Yeah. And it, it, it does nothing but set you up for more anxiety. Why think about work when you're supposed to be away from it? But why plan for work to just check in and see what's coming at you? You never know what's coming down life's path. You don't know the freeway traffic in <laughs> 10 miles. So to me, it, it's a, it was a hard life lesson to learn. And I learned it the very hard way until I was on an island off the coast of Seattle, Three years ago, I got a phone call from a business partner with one of the dumbest questions in the world, and I thought, <laughs> he's not about the question. It's about that, you know, I'm the emotional cat toy. Right, you, know, you got tracked down. You know, it, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly, and I'm like, it just ruined my whole vacation. Well, you know, and of course, it's one of the things with, Kevin, with, with modern technology, of course, because there was... You know, but before everybody carried around cell phones, and there was that time not that long ago, you, you it was tough to track you down. I mean, if if you're on that you're you're on that island outside of Seattle, or you're fly fishing in Montana, or you're in Europe, you can't track people. You know, you're you're not immediately accessible. Now it's like everybody's got the cell phone, so all somebody has to do is hit speed dial, and your phone is ringing regardless of where you are. Yep, exactly. And then that's the idea. Is this, I don't think most employers want to talk to you when you're on vacation. I think that's a self-imposed thing that we have to be careful not to buy into because we're really not that important. Well, I think thanks. We, we, well, but it is. It, it's kind of like that indispensable person complex that that everybody you know ends up getting. I just I, I think the the big point is if 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 you're going to spend all your time on vacation, you know, dealing with the 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 nuts and bolts of of what's going on. Well, then you're you're really. It seems to me you're you're not on on vacation. It's almost like stay at work. Now, I I can understand. Hey, I'm on vacation. If there's an emergency, capital E in emergency, and somebody absolutely and totally needs to get in touch with me, you know, this is the number you can call. Otherwise, call this person or call that person. They are going to be here. Let's talk to Doug in McGuanago. Hi, Doug. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Um, well, I can tell you because I just got back from vacation in California and had a situation while I was off. Now, really, there's not a whole lot I could have done about it while I was <laughs> off. But the issue is there's only two guys who work for my company that do what I do in the entire state. Right. We go around to hospitals and take care of hospitals. When I'm off, no one's doing my job. I have a sales rep that I deal with, so he handles things when I'm off, but he really can't do what I do. I could put out a small little brush fire with a couple of emails and maybe a text or two or maybe a phone call where if I wait till I get back, it's a raging brush fire. Mm-hmm. So I would like to just completely disconnect, but I can't. My mind won't let me disconnect all the way. How do you and think? I let me just rather- ask you this. If, if, let's, let's roll back the clock 25 years before you know everybody had that ubiquitous cell phone so it's nobody really knows where you are you know you're out of the state etc how would you have handled it then it just wouldn't have got handled yeah. and i would have come back to a raging brush fire rather than 
handle it while I'm on vacation. But mm-hmm. it wasn't that big a deal to, you know, a couple of texts. My, my sales reps like, hey, right. where are you at? And, hey, I'm in California. I can't help you. So that immediately was able to help him try to find the other guy and see if he could take care of it. But, again, I wish I could completely disconnect, but my job really doesn't allow that. I right. mean, I don't want to answer day-to-day phone calls. Right. But, you know, when I get a text or an email from my sales rep saying, right. hey, the surgeon is having a fit, well, right. what can we do? So. Right. Well, I think, and again, that, that's all. And of course, that, that there there is this expectation. If you're in in the service industry, whatever, and you can define service however you want. Accountants are in the service industry. Um, you know, attorneys are in the service industry. You know, and it it it, it just varies. But I, I think there's this expectation that clients have that you're going to be available. You know, twenty four seven. I mean, I I have lots and lots of friends who are attorneys, and you know, they they really they never go on vacation. They they just don't. We'll be in Arizona on a golf course, and they'll be on their phones, text messaging back and forth with clients because the clients don't care that they're on quote unquote vacation. But the truth of the matter is, if you know you're going to be spending two and a half hours on your cell phone, you know, texting back and forth. While you're supposed to be in Arizona playing golf, you're really not on vacation. Um, but but of course there is that expectation that everybody's going to be available twenty four seven four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Tom in Oshkosh. Hi Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Yeah, I'm I'm in kind of the customer service area. Work for a big company, and I think it's more of a maybe a salaried position type corporate um, company type thing where people. Um, unlike uh, someone working on an assembly line, bolting together mm-hmm. transmissions, if they come back from three days of vacation, guess what? There's not a there's not a pile of transmissions waiting for them to bolt right. up that they didn't do those three days. So us people, we have to just stay on top of things. Or yeah, it literally is just a pile when you get back. <laughs> a pile. Well, let me ask you yeah. this though. I mean, okay, now you know the, the first caller, <clears throat> one of the first callers we had was talking about. You know, small business, it, it's only like two or three people, so somebody has to do it. Like in your case, you are you are an important cog, but a cog in, in this large operation. Isn't it reasonable to expect that that operation is going to have somebody who can do what it is that you do while you, you know, take advantage of you know, whatever vacation time they give you? Well, and to be honest, if I really push back, yeah, somebody would answer. And there are right. times where you are literally out of touch, but. It's just kind of a practice, and there's probably 40 people in North America that do my job, and right. any of them could answer my calls while I'm gone, but that's all they'll do is they'll answer the call and take a note, Right. and and there it'll be. But on the other hand, um, I don't know. We all just kind of bite our lip and, and go with <laughs> it. And right. No, I, no, th- I mean, that, that, it it, it's, no, it is the way it is, and I guess I'm I'm just, and, and I see, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm born again on this particular subject because I was, I, I was one of you guys for the longest time. You know, you wouldn't go on vacation. You'd be completely plugged in. You'd be calling. You'd be checking in. Now I, I rarely do. I, I, if I'm, we were in Key West, you know, in, in February. And what I would do is, is in the morning, I would just, you know, set aside about 10 minutes and I'd look at my computer. I'd look at the emails and stuff just more to, to let me know what was going on. You know, did, did, did something big break or something like that that I needed to know about? But as far as all the, the day to day stuff, eh, 
you know that I after that ten minutes it was no I I, I don't need to do this I don't need to I, I don't need to ruin this vacation because otherwise you know why end up going on the vacation but I understand it's very tough to uh, punch out here here's a text that uh, Jeff it's a generational problem because everybody wants a response immediately twenty years ago people were willing to wait two to three days to get a call back now people want to call back within thirty minutes um, in an answer. Otherwise, they'll email, they'll text you, they'll call you back. You know, it, it's a problem, no matter if people are on vacation or not. Email and text messages makes any person reachable within a, a couple minutes. Um, let's talk to Bob in Brookfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How Hi, are you? Good. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been in the mortgage business for uh, more than a few years. <laughs> and uh, it seems like every time I, I do try to go on a vacation, well, first of all, it's it's always an increase in business. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you're right. The minute you leave town, that's when everybody wants to to cut a deal, huh? Right, and you know, and I've got teenage daughters, and I'm always lecturing them about you know being too connected to the phone. But yet, uh, they bring it right back to me when you know I'm sitting on the beach and I'm seeing a Wisconsin number, and <laughs> right. it's like uh, I need to pick that up. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's. Maybe it's the illusion that, you know, you're more important than you actually are and that no one's going to die. But also, as a commissioned salesperson, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't want to miss that next uh, that next mortgage. So, Would you ever consider, then, going on some sort of vacation that really, really put you out out of touch? You know, um, you know you're, go- you're going to... I, I don't know. You're going to Antarctica or you're going to go, you know, chase the gorillas or you're going to go, you know, hike Kilimanjaro or something like that. Would would you but but at the, but the trade off is you're going to be out of pocket. You know, people aren't going to be able to reach you for a few days. Would you ever even consider doing something like that? Yes, I would actually embrace that. I, right. I, you know, it's, it's like you want to change your behavior. And I think by, you know, going to some remote location <laughs> where they don't have cell service, which right. uh which you know, if you were in farther farther between, but uh, yeah, I would I would definitely embrace that if I could just you know unplug because I'm a much more relaxed relaxed person when I can actually disconnect and you know right. have face to face conversation. And, and what you probably find, I think, if you did that, Bob, you probably find that you know the world is still going to keep turning and it's still going to come up you know every day. No thanks. Exactly. I, I bring no. It's interesting. You're just talking about mortgage broker. I I um. Um, oh gosh, a while back I was trying to do something, I, I was trying to do something you know, with, you know, with my old house and buying a new house and stuff, and, and I called the, the guy that does all the, the stuff for me, and his voicemail said, hey, I'm out of pocket, I'm, I, I'm somewhere exotic, um, he told me where it was, I won't necessarily say that, but he said, I, you know, I, I'm just, I am not going to be reachable for, you know, another 10 days, now, if, if you need something right away, here's a number of somebody you can call, use my name, or just wait. And, you know, I, I ended up, I wanted to talk to my guy, so I, I just ended up waiting. And, you know, that that was fine, and I'm sure maybe that cost him a little bit of business. But at the same time, I think, I, I guess I just think it's important to to be able to go away. So to my friend and colleague who says he's going to be checking messages all week, my advice is going to be don't knock yourself out about just don't knock yourself out, and certainly, you know, don't invite everybody to pretend like you're still in the office because you work really hard and you deserve a couple days off. One fifty-six, Jeff. Right now, Gru, that doesn't mean when you're on vacation that if I need you, I'm not going to try to track you down. But that's a different story. It's one fifty-six. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us coming up in this hour. How much Barry Manilow is too much? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a provocative sort of question. We're going to tell you a little bit about the Boston store sale. Are there finally deals to be had? But I want to start off with the, the, the mixture of churches and the 4th of July. Now, let me kind of back into this. Um, the, the church that I attend, and I want to be completely honest, I, I did not go to this service yesterday because, well, I just didn't go. But, I mean, because I, I play golf on Sunday mornings during the summer. Okay, that, that's, that's it. But, but, but the church that Fran and I attend, um, was having, and they, it was having a special 4th of July themed service. That, that I mean, they, that actually, it sounded kind of cool. They were having a, it, 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 they had a, like a Scottish bagpiper, patriotic religious songs mixed in with the, the ceremony. Um, um, like, God bless America and things like that. I don't know what the hymns were, but I, I think there, there was going to be a, a 4th of July related tinge to, to the service. Now I didn't go, sorry, but I bet it, it sounded intriguing to me. And actually I'm kind of sorry that, that I didn't. I thought, Oh, this is great. It's something different. Get people to go. Now I didn't realize at the time that something like this would be controversial until I picked up, um, the Washington Post yesterday and saw the story. The Star-Spangled Banner in Church. Some Christians are questioning the mix of patriotism and God. And this is what the story reads. Patriotic church services uh, this time of year were so common in the early republic that the Episcopal Church's National Convention in 1786 resolved that the 4th of July shall be observed by this church forever as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God for the blessings of religious and civil liberty vouchsafed to the USA. Over the centuries, what is meant to celebrate July 4th in church has changed and has been debated. In recent years, the debate has become especially heated, with some Christians disagreeing with others on whether mixing God and country is a right or a heresy. On uh, the Sunday preceding July 4th, which was yesterday, many Christians will expect and experience a patriotic bonanza with flags waving, tributes to political and military leaders, and songs to evangelical news magazine Christianity Today. This week is listed as the top patriot. This week listed the top patriotic songs sung in churches. Among the top ten are "America the Beautiful," um, "God Bless the USA," and "God Bless America." Okay, so that's that's kind of the background. But well, here you might say, okay, Jeff, where's the controversy? Well, um, there are some that are criticizing this. Here's uh, and, and the argument is, this is not my argument, but this is the claim that um, Christian nationalism has become pr- problematic. Here's what they say. When you add that patriotic song, display that flag, or invite a politician to offer a special word to your church gathering, you risk working against the Great Commission. Jesus commissioned us to go into all nations. That means he was establishing a people not bound or defined or constrained by this world's national borders, says Jonathan Lehman, an elder at the Chevrolet Baptist Church outside of Washington. Um, the argument essentially being that if you have a, I don't know, a patriotic theme to your church service, you are promoting American nationalism and you are being exclusionary 
of others. Huh. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look back on this, and I think America being a Judeo-Christian country, I can't think of anything wrong at all with having churches, I don't know, celebrate the 4th of July in this type of fashion where, you know, and this, this isn't church and state, this isn't the government having any influence, this is the church making the decision. But But let's tee this up. If your church were to, I don't know, like mine did yesterday, have a, a sort of 4th of July themed service where there was the element of we love God, we love this country, patriotism and that sort of stuff. Do you think there's anything wrong with that? Is that promoting a particular type of nationalism or is this recognized that, okay, you know, this country was founded, you know, with the idea of in God we trust? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it controversial for churches to have religious theme, uh, have patriotic themed services around the 4th of July? I confess, when I, I read about this, I, I never really thought that this would be controversial. I thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting way to meld the 4th of July into the religious service and maybe even get some more people to attend, you know, on a hot summer afternoon or morning. 414-799-1620. Does this bother you? Does your church do it? Um, and you think they should? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Joel in Milwaukee. Joel, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank you, sir. So um, I told your screener, I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm not serving in the church right now. I'm in, in something else. Mm-hmm. But, um, the church I served in, we would do this every 4th of July weekend. Not that it was sort of expected, but people appreciated it when mm-hmm. we did it. Um, I, I, I look, if you want to look from a biblical perspective, you know, the Bible encourages us to pray for and support our rulers. You know, it's not that you delve into the political and take one side over the other, but here's an opportunity where you can sort of, you know, take the, the middle road, um, ha- have, uh, you know, songs and, and readings mm-hmm. and everything else to talk about in unity supporting our country. I also shared with him the my wife and I were out of town yesterday in the church. We attended it. One of my friends who's a pastor, we closed service by singing God bless our native land and then said the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think it's something that, that, that ties together the two. And I mean, certainly there's, there's a number of uh, America the Beautiful, um, God bless America. I, I think those are perfectly appropriate songs to sing in church, for example, and to build them around a Fourth of July thing. What could be more appropriate? Well, I'll tell you, when we sang "God Bless Our Native Land" at the end of the service yesterday, people were singing at the top of their lungs. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, thanks for call. I guess I, I mean, again, and this isn't separation of church and state. This isn't. This is not anybody saying the churches shouldn't be allowed to do this. It is a controversy apparently within some churches as to whether it is appropriate to do this. The idea being, if you have a a Fourth of July, a, a service teamed with, with a patriotic themed service, the argument is that you are promoting American nationalism and therefore kind of being. A, Exclusive to which I would say, well, all right, you know, we 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 are a country founded on on the nation that you know, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Um, if you can't celebrate that 
basic concept in, in a church, you know, we, we know what what is the church all about? Nicole in Sheboygan. Hi, Nicole. You're on WTMJ. Hi. I just don't think that, not that it's wrong or anything, I just don't feel like there's a real purpose of it being there. I mean, it's not, you're there for God. You're not there mm-hmm. for patriotism. I guess I just kind of keep the two separate just because that's the way I've always thought about it. It's not that you can't, you know, praise the people that are serving or anything like that. I just think it's kind of odd. Well, okay. Do you, would you think it'd be it, odd to, for example, around the 4th of July, sing uh, America the Beautiful um, or or God Bless America in church? I guess, yeah, because it's not an everyday thing. It's, for me, when I go to church, you know, I'm kind of, you're... I don't know if it's it's Roman Catholic, where you're more used to how things are done normally on a daily basis, but to me, it would just seem a little odd. You can put things like people that have served or, you know, do special things like that, but to me, it's just two separate things. Okay, well, I guess, I I think, I mean, I I think, I mean, I I would not want to put myself and presume to put myself in the mind of the the churches that do this, but I mean, I think what, what they're they're doing is you, you have, I mean, th- this week it's, it's the 4th of July. That's going to be the, the big event. And I think, you know, probably what I, I think they're doing this because I think they, they figure and find that the congregation responds to this and generally, you know, likes it. It's something a little bit different. You know, maybe it motivates more people to, you know, want to attend and maybe it's a change from, you know, the, the weekend, the, the week out type of ceremony. Now, of course, I understand it's different and this isn't the best analogy I've ever come up with. But of course, during the, the regular year, the, the church passages change. Now, I understand it's based on religious teaching, but the gospel you get at Easter is different than the you know gospel you get at Christmas, which is different than. Um, but I mean, Thanksgiving, for example, there are. There are Thanksgiving themed, you know, services that you'll have tying around again that 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 event. I, I just I guess I was surprised at the controversy involving this. And I, I think that it's part of at the same time, look, I appreciate that churches are, are basically, you know, designed to foster, you know, your Christian churches to foster your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I mean I, I understand all that, but I guess I just don't think that that's exclusive. And to me, this is a sort of a creative way for the churches that are doing this to broaden the appeal and, uh, again, maybe bring in some extra people thinking, hey, this would be something kind of cool to do on the 4th of July. I certainly don't think it's exclusionary, but that's just me. All right, when we come back, we got a lot of stuff to talk about on the, today's program. Are there deals to be had? And how much Barry Manilow is too much? Stick around. It's 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It was a party 26 years in the making. WTMJ, that's us, is excited to announce first ever Brewers Classic broadcast. We're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Milwaukee Brewers' dramatic 2008 win against the Chicago Cubs, securing the team's first playoff appearance since 1982. You can hear it right here on Wednesday, July 18th at 6 o'clock, um, and it's going to have a good outcome. I pretty much guarantee it. All right. Barry Manilow. Grew, are you a Barry Manilow fan? Eh, a little bit. Uh, Mrs. Grew. I bet you Mrs. Grew. Chicks like Barry Manilow. Yeah. Oh, she likes Tom Jones. Oh, you love Tom Jones. 
Okay, you're not going to be throwing your underwear at him if you see him in Las Vegas or anything. Please tell me. And if you do, I don't want to know about it. But, um, okay, so Barry Manilow, you know, what are Mandy? That would be one of his at the Copa. You know, all those different. Barry Manilow, who is now, gosh, he's got, oh, he's uh, he's 75 now. And um, I write the songs. That was another one. He's now, um, he's he's back. He's doing a, one of these residencies in Las Vegas. You can go see him, you know, where you, you kind of camp out at the same hotel. It pays a lot more and it's a lot easier than, than touring. But, you know, Barry Manilow um, was was big in the 70s and the 80s. And he's he's still kind of around. Now, why am I talking about Mary, Barry Manilow? Well, have you ever been at a place like I... There are a number of fast food restaurants. Matter of fact, I know this guy that owns a bunch of fast food restaurants. And in the drive-through lane, when you, you you order your food, and then as you pull into the drive-through lane, they play music really loud. And I, matter of fact, I I'm going to see this guy next Monday, and I one of the questions is going to be, why do you play the music? Number one, and then why do you play it so loud as you're waiting to get your food in the drive-through lane? And I'm sure there's some science or study as to why they they do this. To me, it's just kind of an annoyance because if I've got my window, for example, rolled down, if if I got my window rolled up, I can't hear it. If I've got my window rolled down, I'm listening to something on the car radio, and that's competing with the news. Why are you playing music in the drive-through window lane? And I'm going to actually. Ask my friend Steve, who owns a whole bunch of fast food restaurants, why they do it. But I'm just—I'm I'm sure there's some study as to why they've done it, and I'm—I'm I'm just kind of curious as to how stuff works. Well, if you were standing outside any one of a number of um, Rite Aid uh, drugstores, I don't know if we have Rite Aid drugstores around here, but they're big in certain parts of the country. Um, for example, they're—they're they're like a Walgreens or a CVS. Rite Aid is that type of store. Well, there's a number of Rite Aid drugstores in Southern California which have taken to blasting Barry Manilow tunes outside. So th- this, this is—it's a corporate—it's a corporate effort. So what they do is they they play and they play them loud. They play these Barry Manilow songs um, over the loudspeakers. So if you're standing in front of the drugstore, um, you, you hear like Barry Manilow is blasting at you. Now you might wonder, okay, why are they why are they doing this? Is this something that they're doing to like attract customers? Do they have this market research that says, hey, if you're walking by the Rite Aid and you hear Barry Manilow blasting over the loudspeakers, you're more inclined to go? Well, no, that's not why they're doing it. It's sort of like, you know, sometimes if you've got those Canada geese, you know, the stuff that comes and hangs out and poops and all, what they do is they play like loud music to get rid of these. Well, what they are doing, and I swear, hand in the air, this is what they are doing at the Rite Aid Rite Aid stores have taken to blasting Barry Manilow tunes as part of a plan to make the bums, loiterers, scramble. Apparently what happens is there's a lot of, in some of these Southern California stores, a lot of the panhandlers, whatever, hang out in front of the Rite Aid stores. So what they've been doing is they play Barry Manilow really loud with the idea that it's going to scare off the bums. and. Here's the other interesting thing. It appears to be working. The bums don't want to hang out and hear Mandy blasted at them. Now, the problem with this is the neighbors 
are all hacked off at it because they're like, why, you know, why are we getting 24 hours of it? Why is it like at the Copa or, you know, I write the songs or whatever. So the neighbors are complaining because they don't like it any more than the bums do. But the panhandlers and the bums, they are being chased out by Barry Manilow. See, this is the interesting thing that you learn by listening to this program. Back with more in just a minute. It's 229. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers are back in town as they get set for cross-state rival the Minnesota Twins to come to town. Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is on the call. Our coverage starts at 635 this evening, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Um, the Brewers have been kind of treading water lately. I mean, I, I, I said at the start of the show, uh, this it, you know, Lorenzo Cain's been on the 10-day disabled list. Uh, Christian Yelich has been hurt um, and it was, with back tightness, has been out for a few days. And it really, I mean, you can see, I think you see how important those two are to the team. They've been crippled by all sorts of injuries, and they're still in first place, so you don't want to jump off the bandwagon. But I, I think with Yelich and Cain in, they are an exceptional team. Without them, they're kind of an average team, and that's what they've been doing. They've been playing like an average team. Um, hopefully, Kane is back on Wednesday, and hopefully, Yelich is back soon as well. Um, you can hear the game this evening on WTMJ. I'm going to be out there looking forward to it. I'm really happy. I made that, I purchased the, that 20 game pack, and I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I was afraid it was going to be too many games, but so far, it hasn't been. All right. Uh, last week was the end of Toys R Us. Uh, Toys R Us, which was just a, an institution, you know, we talked about this before, how many of us grew up, you know, being Toys R Us kids, and um, ultimately the business, I, I think there was some bad management that went on, there was the competition from the internet, um, but ultimately Toys R Us, you know, went under, and they were holding a general liquidation sale, uh, many stores closed before Friday, but as of Friday, it was it. And interestingly enough, I was reading some stories about, you know, at some of the, it, when they said everything must go, they meant everything must go. At the last couple of days, you could walk into Toys R Us and they were selling like the folding chairs that were in the break room. You know, they, you know, anything, you know, anything went. Um, unfortunately, another iconic local brand is going that same way, and it's it's Boston Store. Now, the parent company of Boston Store is, of course, Bonton, and Bonton runs a, a series of, of they, they own Boston Store, they own Yonkers, a couple of these other things, and they are going out of, they're going out of business. Um, the liquidation sale is scheduled to run through August at some of the stores. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I we had a really, I thought, a very interesting conversation because I spoke to I, a couple people had gone to you know, some of the Boston stores and had told me that if you were thinking that there were you know great buys to be had, um, prepare to be disappointed. Um, they, they said that the prices weren't that great, and what had happened was um, a lot of merchandise that you would not have typically expected to be found at a Boston store, for example, had, had been, you know, moved in and was somewhat on the racks. And that's because, you know, what these liquidators do is they, they have like a universe of, of goods, you know, of all sorts of different stuff from the different stores. And what they do is they move it into some stores. Um, so what you might see at, you know, 
the ex-Boston store is, you know, stuff that came from, you know, another Bonton store, maybe in Indiana, that's already closed, and they've moved the stuff that the people didn't buy. You know, they've moved it in here. You know, that that type of stuff. And and the two comments that I w- was hearing was number one, people were surprised that the prices weren't better, and number two, um, again, when it it came to the merchandise. It wasn't what you would, and I'm not saying that there might not be buys or might not be good product, but it wasn't what you would typically expect to necessarily find at a given Boston store. So there's a story in the Journal Sentinel today. Roughly 40% of the inventory of the Bonton stores has been sold so far, and the liquidation sale is likely to last another two months at some stores. They say the warehouses are almost empty, and only a little bit of merchandise um, will still hit the stores that says that's according to the company that's handling the liquidation um the question becomes though um is it worth it are there buys that are out there that that are worth you know people running to the, the stores now at the end for toys r us apparently I'm, I'm told that the deals were pretty good but of course it, you, you've you really got the remnants um i think a lot of people were disappointed early on with what happened at Boston store if they thought there was going to be really, really great buys because at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff wasn't because, okay, maybe they, they're offering, for example, like a 50% discount, but that's off of retail. Whereas, you know, most people that were buying stuff from Boston store, it, it in the, you weren't paying retail in the first place and you had coupons that let you get 30% off what the price was. So one of the messages I was hearing is the deals really weren't that good. So let's revisit this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, a number of people that I have heard from have been, I think, a little bit surprised. Maybe they thought that there were better deals to be had or better merchandise um, that was going to be available. Have you been participating in these liquidation sales, and has it been worth your time? Are there deals to be had with this, or... Are you essentially seeing, okay, this is kind of this liquidation thing, and it's kind of like going to a giant flea market? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How is this playing out? Like I say, I'm hearing from a number of people who have been, again, a little bit disappointed by the way this whole thing was working out. Uh, Bonton says 40% of the stuff is gone. They intend to continue the liquidation sales probably for the next two months, July and August. By the time, again, August rolls around, my guess is you'll be down to just like with Toys R Us, buying folding chairs from break room. 414-799-1620. What has your experience been? Let's start with Ryan and Franklin. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, we were there over the weekend and, and looking around and just found that most of the items that they had there, if you look at the tags closely, and you pull out your phone, you look anywhere else, you know, Home Depot or Target anywhere. Most of the time, you're finding cheaper prices than even the reduced price that you're seeing on the Boston store. And they're, what they're listing is their, the original price is way inflated. Right, yeah, I, I heard that that was one of the things. So, like, let, let's say normally a, a shirt, Boston store, maybe the retail was 20 bucks, but re- Boston store's regular price would be 14 for the sake of argument, and then 30% off that if you had the coupon. What people were telling me is, Okay, maybe it's fifty percent off, but it it they start with the retail of twenty and they knock it off so it's ten bucks in my example, which is about the same or maybe even more than you could have gotten it before they were having the liquidation sale. 
Right. There was a woman who was looking at you know, a shark vacuum cleaner that they were listing as original price over $400. And um, after the discount, you know, like $220. And I showed her, I looked up on Home Depot, and the exact same one was at Home Depot for $175. Yeah, so it's a question of kind of let... Uh, let, real, this is another one of uh, where the buyer really has to beware. In other words, very much so. Yeah, no. Th- thanks for calling. And again, I mean, it, it's 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 understandable, but this is and this. I mean, what happens is Bonton hires a liquidation company to come in, and their job. I get it. Their job is to maximize the amount of money that you can get. They're trying to maximize the revenue you get. Um, at the same time, what I find interesting about this is I think there's a lot of people here who are going out of business sale. That means that there's going to be all these tremendous bargains. And I don't, I don't know that that's the case. I'm not saying that there aren't ones. It's just like Ryan was talking about. Hey, you start to look and you say, maybe these deals aren't that great on some stuff. Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Well, I trashed my winter coat at the end of the season, so I've been really desperate trying to find a decent coat. And of course, at this time of year, not you're not going right. to find a lot of winter coats. Uh, the wife, <laughs> you, pick, wife, you pick the day when it's like 95 degrees yeah. and with the wind, with the heat and humidity index of 110. That's the day you're looking for a park. I got it. Uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> we were there on Saturday. Went to Southridge on uh, Boston Star on Saturday, and I got a Tommy Hilfiger beautiful coat. Uh, it was marked for uh, two twenty five originally, and I got it for sixty five. What do you think it, if you had if you had purchased it outside of the liquidation sale thing? You know, with the, the typical, you know, with the discounts and the coupons, you're still convinced you would have had to pay a lot more than that, huh? I, I am. Uh-huh. I am. I, we we shop Boston store a lot over the years, and uh, I, I really uh, think that. Uh, you know, you can get some good deals now. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. Right, and it has to be the thing you're looking for, like a winter coat in the middle yeah. of July. Yeah. No, thanks. Exactly. Well, that, no, that that's great. And, it, and and look, I'm not. This, the purpose of this isn't to discourage people from shopping. It's just when I saw that, you know, you, you've got you know 40 percent of the inventory sold. You wonder what's kind of out there. Okay, uh, here's uh, Mitch. Yonkers up here is part of the liquidation. Lots of, as seen on TV items, discounts were up to 40 to 70%, but of inflated prices, uh, my message is buyer beware. Here's another text. My wife and I went to Boston store yesterday and were very disappointed. The sales didn't seem to be any better than the regular holiday sales. You know, we found it to be a, a waste of time. And again, it's um, maybe... It just depends what you're going to be able to find. Um, Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Bill. Uh, hot as it was last week, everybody's going to remember that. Right. Went to Boston Store, and I got two 5,000 BTU air conditioners for $84 a piece. Okay. Um, I've never seen it that low ever. Huh. Were there a lot? Were there a lot of people in the stores? Yes, and there were a lot of air conditioners. Obviously, they didn't come from Boston store. I think the liquidator moved them in somehow, but right. they hit it just right. And boy, <laughs> I'm thankful. Well, no, and that, that works out. It's interesting you said that because I was trying to think. I was thinking, gosh, I don't, I don't typically think of Boston store as being a place that sells air conditioners. That's probably because they weren't. This was just something else the liquidator had lying around, huh? That's correct. And their Evercools, which are the same as one of their competitors, sell not very far from there and i think the competitor was forty dollars forty five dollars more well then you got a deal no thanks yeah. for call about and, and that's right. and that uh, that that that's uh, again that's one of the great things that's there um 
and that is, I guess I didn't realize till I, I started hearing this process with Toys R Us and then Boston Store. I mean, I didn't realize that when they do these liquidation things, it's not just simply an issue of we're going to liquidate the merchandise we have here, but rather, you know, other stuff that the liquidator has lying around that's not necessarily Boston Store stuff. They're going to move in and try to, you know, move it as a vehicle, which it's it's fine as long as you know what you're doing. Joe in McGuanago. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, Jeff, one of the other aspects is not only is the price not very um, different, um, Matt may actually be a little higher than it would have been prior to announcing they were folding. Mm-hmm. But there's no warranty and there's no return on anything that you buy there. Once you walk out the door, it's yours no matter what. So if the thing's dead in the box, you can't take it back. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, or you know, if the if you, you buy clothing, you know, you think, hey, you know, this is this is going to look good on my husband or my kid's going to want it. You buy the clothing, and it turns out to, they don't like it or whatever. You're stuck with it. Exactly. In this case, um, we bought a pair of shoes that uh, were a very famous label, and um, the price was um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once we looked at it, they had clearly been worn. Ooh. And um, went back in, and they said, I'm sorry, it's yours. So that was my fault. I, I read P.T. Barnum, but I didn't. Uh... <laughs> well, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't call you I wouldn't call you a sucker. That, I mean, people do. The, but, no, but, again, it's one of the things that you want to be, you know, it's just, people need to be careful about. That's all. Exactly. You know? No, thanks. And that, I guess that's the, only, that's the only big point. Let's see. Here's a text. I worked at a J.C. Penney's that closed down a couple of years back. The only time the deals were good was where it when it where when it came to name when it came to name brand things like Levi's, um, but they never went to on sale for more than twenty percent off. Otherwise, you could really get better deals elsewhere. I did get a freezer out of the break room for forty bucks, though. Yeah, I mean that that's the kind of stuff that's there. I guess the the bottom line is you you do. And that's this is kind of a cautionary tale. You want to be careful about this, recognizing you're not going to be able to bring the stuff back and recognizing that some of the things you might be purchasing, this isn't what you might have found necessarily in the typical Boston store. It might be different. It means you can get a great deal out of it and you're willing to take the risk that I get it home and it might not fit right or whatever. Well, you know, go with God. 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Summerfest is taking off the day for Monday. They do the first, the Monday of Summerfest. They're always off nowadays. Back in full force tomorrow. I'm going to be down there. The show's going to originate from Summerfest from noon until 3. Um, they've got a hip-hop artist, J. Cole. He's going to be uh, performing on the main stage. Uh, Steven Tyler, 945 at the BMO Harris Pavilion. Um, earlier on in the afternoon, the Booze Brothers. They always put on a great show. Trace Atkins is going to be at the Uline Warehouse. And a cast of thousands going to be a lot of fun. I suspect there's going to be a lot of people down there. If you happen to be down during the day, be sure to stop off and say hi. Gru is producing the show today and always. I didn't tell you about the best part of Summerfest on Thursday. The very best part. Um, two of my very closest friends, Steve and Evan, came down, and we we kind of wandered around for a couple hours after I got done with the show. I did not realize this, or else I would have been making a much bigger deal of it. But um, on on Thursday, it was like turn back the clock day, or whatever they they call it. Um, all beverages were half price from one until six o'clock. All honest to goodness, we go up to. The lakefront beer tent. And I'm with my buddy Steve. We're waiting for Evan to come down. 
I, I'm going to buy the first round. So I, I order two beers, and they the, the guy says it's six seventy five. And being the honest person that I am, I said, no, no, I, I I had two. He said, no, I know it. It's it's like half price. So I'm going, oh, so I'm getting the two lakefront beers for six seventy five. I said, well, I, I said it's Christmas in June. And I said, I'm I'm coming back and. Um, <laughs> my producer Bruce. Yes, you you said make it four. Give me another two right away. No, I I decided you know we'd we'd wait, but actually you could have done that. But it was what what a great deal. And I, I was sitting there thinking, you know what a just what an absolutely tremendous idea, you know, to get people down there. If you know you promote the heck out of that, because I mean it does make a difference. I I like beer at I mean I like beer period. But if the choice is Two for six seventy five or one for six seventy five. I like two for six seventy five a lot better. It was from one to six. What a great promotion! In any event, um, we'll be down there tomorrow. So if you happen to be at the lakefront at Summerfest during the day, be sure and stop off and say hello. I'm going to wander around with my wife and some friends um, after that as well. Before we go to the Menominee Falls parade and fireworks, got a big Fourth of July planned. We'll see what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. What do they have planned for Wisconsin's Afternoon News? In just a moment, it's 2.54. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.